Well, everybody that thought they were going to stay home today and get some work done because it's been raining so much through the week, that kind of rent their plans. <laughs> they had another think coming. I want you to open your Bibles today to Judges. Judges chapter 15. And uh, verse 20. Last week we saw Samson and we talked about how he was set apart for God before he was ever born. It reminds us that we have been set apart for God. Uh, before the foundation of the world, God called us. He has something for us and we're set apart to him. We saw that he got eager in some of his, you know, what he wanted to do. He really didn't honor God. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. And he got into a lot of trouble. But at the end of that, it, he really recognized that his final victory when he killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey, he actually realized that that was God that had done that, that he was not able to do it. And in verse 20, in, in Judges chapter 15, it says, Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. So he did something right. He turned and he began to do what God had called him to do. You know, we're going to see today that you pay a high price for low living. Disobedience is always more costly than obedience. How many of you say, I know that's right. I found that to be true. Uh, again, we, we last saw Samson crying out to God and thanking him for giving him that great victory over the thousand Philistines. And, and uh, so he turned to God and it says that he led, the, uh, he led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. But, you know, here's the thing. Here's a, a spiritual truth. An unconquered weakness always births a tragedy. An unconquered weakness always births a tragedy. I don't know if you've discovered that in your life or not. Sometimes we don't really get victory over something. We just suppress it. You know, obviously Samson hadn't conquered his weakness that he had, uh, he'd only suppressed it. He learned how to deal with it and um, he did that for 20 years. But to suppress means to hold inside. It means to contain. It's like containment. And God never is, is never satisfied with containment. If you're holding it inside, it's not a victory. It's just suppressed. And so to suppress lust is not a victory. To suppress anger is not a victory. He just suppressed those things. And there's a way that, uh, you know, we realize that our old, creative, our old nature, the, the Bible calls it the flesh, the old nature in Romans, it's, it never dies or it's never destroyed, but we have to die to that nature. And Paul said, I die daily. Uh, you know, we are... And through that nature, we're just, um, that's what would drive us to sin. And uh, so you have to, to die to that, not just suppress it. And so we find then that since Samson had just kind of just suppressed it and gone on, not, never dealt with it, we find him, as Willie Nelson would say, on the road again. And we talk, we've seen him on the road to ruin, and, and he got off that road for about 20 years, but now he's on the road again. And, every, and look at uh, verse 1 in chapter 16. Verse 1 in chapter 16, it says, one day, everybody say one day. Look at your neighbor and say, one day. Samson went to Gaza. Let me tell you, everybody has a one day. It's a day of temptation and testing, and it will come. Your day of temptation and testing of what 
you should be over will come to see if you're really over it. Satan will make sure he brings that one day to you to see if he can snag you on that one day. And uh, so the question is, will you be ready on that day? When that day comes, will you be ready? Well, have you uh, not just suppressed the, these things, your fatal flaws in your life, but have you dealt with them? Have you, are you dealing with it daily, dying to those things? And, and uh, before the Lord, asking God to search you, know your ways, see if there be any wicked way in you that you haven't dealt with. You know, we're to, to confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And that uh, when we, we know that uh, through his blood that we can have victory over these things. And so we need to do that daily. We need to acknowledge that sin, confess it before the Lord, ask God for help, and maybe ask others to help, to hold us accountable for it, and then do uh, what we need to do for God, to let his word be assimilated into our lives. In uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, tells us uh, a, a spiritual truth here. Uh, it says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in us. Wow. You know, Satan, or Sa Satan, Sa Satan was in Samson. I don't know if Samson really felt like he had sinned. He confessed and he acknowledged that God had helped him in the victory over the thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. But evidently he hadn't really acknowledged this sin in his life and he never dealt with it. And so he was self-deceived. It was just as it says there, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You know, Satan loves for us to, to deceive ourselves. That's the greatest deception of all, a self-deception. And so 20 years of victory, and then one night he fell. Samson's crisis reminds us that the sin nature, that um, it never dies, as I said. It's uh, the proclivity to sin, or and it's an inclination. It's a um, uh, predisposition to sin. That's what the sin nature is. We are predisposed to sin. That's what the sin nature does. So in Romans chapter 6, it says to count yourselves to be dead to sin. And every day you need to say, you know, I'm a sinner saved by grace, and I count myself to be dead to sin. I'm not going to live in it any longer. The Apostle Paul starts out in Romans chapter 6. He says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer in it? We, can't, we don't live in it. We are dead to that. And so we, we count ourselves to be dead and then we walk in a newness of life. It's a, the principle of sanctification is what it is. Where we can, uh, set ourselves apart to God to be holy. Count ourselves to be dead to sin, but then set apart for God. God declares us to be righteous. At salvation, God declares the believing sinner to be righteous, not on our works, but on the works of Jesus Christ. You're not saved by being good. You're not lost by being bad. You're lost because we need a Savior. So you're not saved or lost by your works. We're, we're lost because sin entered into the world and separated man from, from God, and we need a Savior. And it doesn't matter what you try to do. You know, it, it, you don't come to church to be saved. 
You come to church because you are saved and that you need that, that encouragement and that strength to make it to the, through the next week, you know? And we need one another. We need to be an encouragement to one another. As they say, sleeping in a Chevy don't, or in a garage don't make you a Chevy, you know? And so, you know, it's not by our works. In Romans chapter 6, turn to Romans chapter 6, verse 11. You need to underline that or if you have a smartphone, highlight it. Romans chapter 6 and verse 11. Paul starts there and he says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Really in this whole story of Samson, we see a picture of God's grace. Who's the hero in this story? That's a trick question. It's not Samson. God is the hero. He's the hero because he's the one that, that extends the grace and rescues you know, Samson and gives him a chance to, to get his life right. So we see here that uh, one day it says that, that uh, Samson, he, he, he failed the test. He had never really dealt with this thing of sin. He just suppressed it and got by. But it says he went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. So here we go, he's back on the road again. He's looking for the wrong thing, so he goes to the wrong place, and now he's getting in the wrong, uh, you know, uh, doing the wrong thing. You know, after 20 years, he falls into the same sin and, uh, that got him into the trouble of the, you know, two decades ago. And why? Why did he, why did this happen? Well, let's look at some of these things First of all, he did not acknowledge his sin. As I mentioned a while ago, he didn't acknowledge, he failed to recognize his fatal flaw, his weakness. Have you done that? Have you, do you recognize your weakness? Oh, no, I don't want to think about it. I, I don't want to think about that. Well, you better think about it. You need to acknowledge your weakness. And where you're weak, God is strong. So that's where we are dependent upon God. You know, there's a stages in, in a person's life where as a baby, they are dependent. They need someone to do everything for them. We've got some big babies. <laughs> and they're dependent upon somebody else to do something for them. And then they go into that stage of independence. How I many you know when they hit that in adolescence and, and they're independent? They don't want you telling them anything. They, they want to do it on their own and they're independent. Some people never get out of that state. You're supposed to get to the point of interdependence when we know that we can depend on someone else and that they can depend on us, interdependence. And where I'm weak, I can align myself with somebody that's strong in that particular area, and then together, I'm strong in some areas, they're strong in these areas, and, and we're not just twice as strong, but we are really, it's multiplied. And uh, we really can do, a, you know, it says one can put 1,000 to flight, but two can put 10,000 to flight. And so God works that in his body, and that's where we need to come to that point of maturity of where we are interdependent, and we know that we need one another. Samson never needed anybody. You ever see him mustering an army, getting you know, an army ready to go out and fight? No, he just goes out and takes care of himself. 
He doesn't need anybody, and he don't need God. He's just stuck in that independent stage and where he's going to do what he wants to do, and he never acknowledged his weakness. The second thing is he, he should have asked God for help. So he fell back into the same thing because he never asked God for help. Sometimes we don't think that we need to ask God to help us in these particular areas, but, well, if you don't acknowledge your sin, you don't know that you have a problem, then why ask for help for something that you don't even know that you have? Psalm 34, verse 17, you ought to jot this down. It says, the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. Praise God, what a wonderful verse. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. We need to know how to cry out to God and ask God for help every day. Every day, Lord, help me. Show me where I'm weak. You know, uh, lead me not into temptation. Lord, I want to follow you. And as I follow you, I want to go through past the temptation, not that I fall into it. I got to keep my eyes on you. So help me and lead me, guide me, direct me. Everybody has fatal flaws. Everybody has these weaknesses and vulnerabilities. I can guarantee you, if you, if you don't know them, Satan does. You know, what might be a weakness or where I might be vulnerable, Tim might not be, and, you know, and vice versa. You know, what, uh, so we need to understand and recognize our own weaknesses and be ready because Satan's plotting a plan for your life. We always hear, God's got a plan for your life. God's got a plan for your life. He does have a plan for your life, and Satan's got a plan for your life too. Amen. So you better watch out, and you better uh, understand where you're weak, where you're liable to fall, and ask God to strengthen you, maybe to bring people into your life to help you in that particular area. So he fell back into this problem because he didn't acknowledge that he had a sin, he didn't ask God for help, and he didn't avoid temptation. Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. Genesis 4, 7, listen to this. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Wow. You better watch out. Sin is crouching at your door. You better master it because it'll take control of you. James chapter 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Or I like it when we're talking about this one day. At one day this time of temptation and trial will come. And on that day, submit yourselves then. On that day, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Of course, every day we need to submit ourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from us. But if we don't realize that you've got a problem, you know, and here's the thing, we tolerate things. We, we dabble where we, if we don't think, if we think we've got it mastered and, we, and it don't have any pro, uh, control of us, then we kind of go back, we think, I've got a handle on this now. I've got a handle on this. I've ridden motorcycles since I was... 10, is, that's as early as I can remember, but did a lot of off-road riding, uh, enduro riding, and motocross riding, hill climbing. And, you know, about the what I discovered at a young age is when I thought I had that motorcycle mastered, <laughs> man, I got this thing. I am good rider. I can handle this. You know, I can climb that mountain. And all, there's no mountains down here in Texas, but we, we had them there, or, or sand pits and various things for motocross. When I thought I had it mastered, that's when I had a wreck. 
I remember rolling down backwards down a mountain with a motorcycle rolling on top of me every other time too, just coming back down. That'll humble you real quick. How many motorcycle riders we got in here that you've learned that? By the time you think you got it down, you kind of let your guard down, right? Because you think, I got this thing now. You let your guard down a little bit. Same way in our life. When we think we got a hold of it and we don't have no problem, we let our guard down and we allow that sin to come back in a little bit, to creep back in. Remember, it's crouching at your door. That's what it says. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 What we've got to do, we've got to carefully guard these areas of our life, our fatal flaws, our weaknesses, and as we've confessed them to the Lord, ask God for help and avoid temptation. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Verse 25 says, Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. That sounds pretty straightforward, doesn't it? Let your eyes look straight forward. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet. Take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot uh, from evil. Be careful. Don't waver. Keep your, your, your feet, your foot from evil. Um, Samson had his Achilles heel was lust. It got him. He went down to Gaza, it says, the enemy territory where he should not have been. And in Judges chapter 6, verse 1, it says he saw a prostitute. That's what he was looking for in the first place. That's why he went to where he went because that's what he was looking for. And the, next, and it's, the next thing, you, you know, it says, he went in to spend the night with her. Hmm. Judges cha uh, chapter 16, verse 2. Here we're going to see him warring. We saw him, what we've seen now is he's wandering. He's wandering away from where he really needs to be, wandering down to the, to the border, going past. He's transgressing, trespassing. He's going past the limits being very vulnerable, now we're going to see him warring. In verse 2, it says, the people of, of Gaza were told, Samson's here. I mean, you know, he did stick out a little bit. He, his hair was <laughs> pretty long. I mean, that was a visible testimony of who he was. Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him. Boy, isn't that how the devil does? Here he comes. It says, you know, he's just crouching there. He's ready. It says, uh, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn, we'll kill him. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, be self-controlled and alert. Well, Satan, or Samson wasn't self-controlled. I keep calling him Satan. <laughs> Samson definitely wasn't self-controlled, and he wasn't alert, was he? Peter says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith. So, Samson is somewhere that he, he should not be and he's with someone that he should not be with. Has that ever happened to you? Don't raise your hand, you leave your, your ribs exposed. <laughs> you're somewhere where you shouldn't be and you're with somebody that you should not be with. 
uh-oh, watch out, you're in for a heap of trouble. So we see him now, uh, the Holy Spirit warning him in verse 3. This is so amazing. Even in his waywardness, the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, God still loves him. His grace is so amazing that he warns Samson. In verse 3 it says, but Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. And then we see him winning. You know, he gets that warning, and so then he decides that he's going to uh, get up. In verse 3, it says, Then he got up, took hold of the doors of the city gate, and together with two posts, and tore them loose, uh, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulder and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Scholars tell us that these gates weighed from 700 to 1,000 pounds. Samson just reached in and he just grabbed those gates, man, tore them off the hinges, and, and off he went. Hey, he's winning now. That's what he's supposed to be doing, amen? The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. They're going to, Satan's going to try to fence you in, and you know what? Just tear the gates and get out of there. He carried them some 40 miles and set them up on a hill in Hebron there. Uh, you know, gates represent authority. Rachel taught on gateways and gates last Wednesday night. It was a good, good job. And gates represent authority. They control entrance and exit there. And so uh, Samson was saying, you don't have control of your city, this major city, uh, Gaza. Let me tell you something. I've got control of them. I'm taking your gates, and I'm destroying them. And so he, humilia uh, he humiliated the, the Philistines on their major city there with them lying in wait for him. But he turned. He didn't go ahead and do what he was going to do. He got up and he took the gates and he, he just captured their gates. You know what? We need to realize that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. But now we see him wavering. You know, it seems like we got a very short memory, don't we? He's enraged the Philistines by ripping off their gates, and he's inflamed that old passion of, of illicit sex. And, you know, so he's just kind of really pumped here, you know, but he loses sight, and he still hasn't acknowledged the sin. He hasn't asked God to help him. He he's, hasn't, you know, avoided temptation, and those things start to burn in him. And um, so we, we saw his disobedience, and now we're going to look at his destruction. We're going to see Samson's dally with Delilah and four destructive mistakes that he made. Judges chapter 16, verse 4. Get over to verse 4 there in Judges 16. Sometime later, they used to have, used to watch the old movies or cartoons that say, meanwhile, back at the ranch. <laughs> Sometime later, he didn't ever deal with this, and so, he, but he kept entertaining these things. And sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Soret whose name was Delilah. I can just see him now, can't you? He walks down there, sees her, takes her hand. they just walking and talking, and wow, you know. I mean, she, uh, she's enticing, and he's got an eye. That's what he's looking for, right? Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the Valley of Soret, whose name was Delilah. <laughs> he got involved in another relationship. You know, third time's charm. Remember that? First woman, now he went down and, and uh, he was infatuated with her. 
And then the second woman with the gates, you know, uh, uh, that about got him into trouble. He sweeps her off her feet, falls in love with her. You know, uh, he's toying with temptation and he fell for a fatal attraction. I'm telling you, this is a fatal attraction. Judges, uh, verse 5, it says, The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you his secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us, and there was five of these Philistine rulers, major rulers, each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. Whoa. I want to tell you, the, the, the plot's thickening here. We got love and sex. We got money. We got power and pride. You know, 1,100 shekels each from five of them, that'd be 5,500 shekels. And it's guessed that the, you know, maybe a lower income, not the middle income, but uh, made around 10 to 12 shekels a year. So let's compare that with around an, uh, an income of $30,000 a year. So if you took that and multiplied it times 5,500, what do you come up with? $16.5 million. They came to Delilah and said, we're going to give you 16.5. You have hit the jackpot. You've won the lottery. If you'll just get us his secret, we want to bring him down. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels. That's 5,500 shekels. So it could be up to $16 million. It's guessed that maybe as low as 200,000, some have said, but, you know, I don't know, do the math. If those prices, Delilah's not just dilly-dallying around here. I mean, she's, she's out for uh, this money. And Samson's final dis- uh, romance ends in disaster. Delilah's name means weakness or brought low. And boy, did she discover his weakness? Did she bring him down? She, uh, she searched out and this, again, this lethal combination of these motivators, sex, money, power, uh, you know, that's a trifecta of defeat, especially for, for Samson. Let's pick up the story in verse 6. And so follow along with me in your Bibles. Verse 6, let's read down to about verse 21 and see what happens here. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, if anyone ties me up with seven fresh cords or thongs, it says here, or just different things, it says, that, um, that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh cords and, uh, that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped uh, the, the cords and e- easily, it says, as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame so that the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, you've made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how can, uh, you can be tied. He said, now, you know, the Philistines knew that he had a weakness because this had happened 20 years ago there in Timnah. Remember when he went down and, and uh, he finally gave in and told her the, the rhyme? So they, they knew he could give in. So he says, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then 
with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah then said to Samson, until now you have been making a fool of me <laughs> and lying to me. Tell me uh, how you can be tied. I'm sure she was working everything she could work to get him to tell her the, the truth here. That $16.5 million was on the line. He replied, if you weave the seven braids of my hair. Now he's getting closer. And isn't this amazing how we do it? He's toying here with the devil. He should have been like Joseph and just dropped his coat and ran. Each time he's getting closer, closer to revealing his weakness. He replied, if, if you weave the seven braids of my, he, uh, of my head into a, the fabric on the loom and tighten it with the, with the pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, oh, we're getting closer here, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into a fabric, and tightened it with the, with the pen. What is wrong with this guy? I mean, hello, shouldn't he realize, hey, every time I tell her something, she does that. I'm sure she's threatening him with whatever. And he's like, you know, okay, I'll tell you. Verse 15, then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time that you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. <laughs> tired to death. Verse 17. So he told her everything. Uh-oh. He said, no razor has ever been used on my head. He said, because I have been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. By your words, you will be condemned. Boy, by his words, he was. And so she has this thing now. She's got his secret. So when Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines. Come back once more. Uh, he has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. Here they bring in her $16.5 million. And so uh, having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke, now listen, this is probably one of the saddest verses in this whole story. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. Look, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. Wow. I'm going to tell you something, people. If you keep just dilly-dally in your sin or in your weakness and in, in, in that way, just thinking that you are invincible or it's no big deal, just this once, this won't hurt, or, you know, well, I did this before. You know, he had a lot of different things, and he shook himself and he went out. But, you know, God had put up with all of this until finally enough is enough. And it says that he did not know that the Lord had left him. Hello, you're used to carrying around braids down to here, and all of a sudden, you don't feel a little lighter? <laughs> 
But he did not know that his strength, that the Lord had left him, is what it says. That the Lord had left him. He didn't realize what had happened. You know, too many Christians drift from God through stupidity. Just thinking it's no big deal. And, you know, just they continue in their folly and they don't realize what they've done until they've done it and then it's too late. You know, it didn't happen overnight. Just a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, a little bit there. If you'll do this, if you do that, he kept toying with it, you know, continued in his sin. He should have realized the first time, man, I told her that, and that's what she did. Then she brought the Philistines on me. I'm out of here, girl. You don't love me. Nah, he kept messing around. So that's where we get the statement, sin will always take you farther than you're willing to go. It will hold you longer than you're willing to stay, and it will cost you more than you're willing to pay. You do pay a high price for low living. So we saw Satan, uh, Samson's, <laughs> we saw you know, him falling, and we saw his disobedience. We've seen his downfall here. Now we're going to see his detention. We're going to see how the, the, what the Philistines did. It says in verse 21, Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding in the prison. Wow. You know, sin blinds us, then it binds us, and then it slowly and inexorably grinds away at us, just continues to grind away in our life. If we don't recognize and deal with our fatal flaws, we'll end up just like Samson. Blinding takes place as we lose our moral compass and our moral vision binding then will result as we lose our freedom and liberty and we'll spend the rest of our lives grinding out a purpose purposeless existence just not doing the will of God just you know what just existing in our sin you know if we're willing to repeatedly walk into temptation which leads to sin we're going to suffer the consequences of our disobedience even though God still uses us to accomplish his will God still used him you know there against the Philistines but pretty soon it's going to catch up with us in the end Samson understood the true source of his strength but he never understood his true purpose but his hair began to grow everybody say his hair began to grow As Samson's grinding out this grain every day, day in, day out, hour upon hour, day upon day, week upon week, month upon month. We don't know exactly how long it was, but it says his hair began to grow. And it says, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Verse 23, it says, Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled uh, to, uh, to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our, our land and multiplied our slain. It says, While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring Samson out to entertain us. And so they went to get him. And they they brought him out to show him before all of the people that were assembled there to, to show their great triumph over this man who had just destroyed them and humiliated them. That who was he? He was, they blinded him, gouged out his eyes, bound him up, 
And so he says to the servant, lead me to the columns uh, that I might rest, lean my back on them. So they said, okay, so we lead him over to the, to the columns and uh, thinking no big deal, but Samson had a plan and he had been praying and asking God to help him. And so he had finally, I think through all this grinding in his life, he said, you know what, God, I'm the one that failed. I think he repented and he asked God to forgive him and, and he came back to, to <laughs> what's going on, Roberta? <laughs> And so they, they called Samson out of his prison and, and he performed for them. And don't you know that day in and day out that he was going through and saying, and he realized, man, I missed it. I missed it. Finally, he realized it, but where is he now? Blinded, bound, had been grinding away, grinding away. When they stood him among the pillars, it says, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof where, uh, were 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. And Samson did something that he should have done a long time ago. Samson prayed. And he dies with them. It says, then Samson reached out toward the two central pillars, verse 29, on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on one end and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. When he cried out, Adonai, this was different. Adonai Elohim, my master, my God. Finally, he realized, God, you are my master. I am sold out to you, not to me anymore. See, all of Samson's life, he'd been sold out to himself, sold out to his sin, sold out to everything that Satan had for him. So now he's saying, God, I'm sold out to you. Master, my God. Anoint me one more time that I might do what you called me to do, what you called me from the beginning to do. And God allowed that. But I want to tell you something. How much more could Samson have done in his life if he would have done that from the very beginning? If he would have started out his career with saying Adonai. You know, what you hold on to, <laughs> you lose. What did Jesus say? He that would uh, gain the world will lose it. He will, you know, gain his soul will lose it. You know, in other words, what you hold on to is going to be taken away from you. But what you give is given back to you. We give ourselves to God. He gives us a life. We hold on to our life. Our life really and our purpose is gone. Satan's, or Samson's purpose throughout this whole time really never was seen to its fullest. Yes, God uh, uh, anointed him and he killed Philistines, but 
not to the, uh, the point of what he could have been. So he finally recognized his fatal flaws and he cries out to God, Adonai, master, owner of me and my soul, my life, I need you to help me this one last time to take out these Philistines, what, you've, what I was birthed and born and purposed to do. He asked God for help. Remember the first thing that we said a while ago, how he missed it was he didn't acknowledge his sin and he didn't ask God for help. I think he's turned some things around. And he asked other people for help too. He asked the servant, will you lead me? Because he couldn't do it himself then. Will you lead me to the columns? So you see how his whole life has turned around? He's humbled now. If you start out humbled, then you won't have to be humbled. Uh-oh. If we'll humble ourselves, then God won't have to humble us or he won't allow the circumstances in our life to humble us. Humble yourselves before his mighty hand. You know, sadly, when we look at Samson's life, everything he did, he did by himself, no help, didn't ask anybody, but he finally understood and accepted God's will and God's purpose for his life. And he died to self, I think, at that grinding, that millstone, I think that's where he died to himself. And he said, I, you know, I'm all yours. You're my master. I'm all yours. Verse 30, look at verse 30 there in chapter 16. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. You know, I think you'll find that true in your life when you're willing to go back to the place of where... Uh, the place of disobedience in your life and die to it, face it and die to it, is when you're really going to find your life. Amen. Count yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Just as Jesus went to that garden and he knelt and he cried out, you know, let this cup pass from me. Then he said, nevertheless, not my will, thine be done. When he died to himself, that's when he then Began, he saw God's purpose live in him. It's the same way with each one of us. We've got to go back to the point of our disobedience. Die to our, face it, and die to it, and give ourselves to God. Look at some, let's look at some action steps here that we need to take. First of all, don't be deceived to, uh, to disobey. Be careful. You know, exit the road to ruin and get on the road to recovery. Every one of us in this room today, we've got some weakness. We have some flaws in our life, and we've got to overcome them. Nobody's just born without any challenges. You might say, oh, man, they don't have it. I've got it so bad, they don't have it so bad. You know what? We can't compare ourselves to anybody else. What's tough to them, you know, might not be anything to us. But what's tough to me, you know, uh, might kill that person. You know, so we don't know. We can't compare that. We just have to be before God and ask him to help us. So acknowledge your fatal flaw. Can you do that right now? If you got something to write on or on your phone, maybe type some notes in there. Acknowledge your fatal flaw. What's your spiritual soft spot? What area of your life has the most potential to ruin you? Where could Satan come in and just really ruin you? Is it lust, coveting, revenge, an unforgiving spirit, anger, lying? I don't know. Some, some weakness. Psalm 38, 18 says, I confess my iniquity. I am troubled by my sin. 
Boy, until, we, until we're troubled by our sin, we won't. It needs to bother us that we could step out and do our own thing, step away from God. But see, what happens is, is our conscience gets seared as with a hot iron and we kind of get numb to it. And see, every time Samson did something and then he, he got away with it, he just kinda, it didn't bother him as much. His conscience it was seared as, as it is and it didn't bother him. And that's the way we are, you know? And we take one more step. Then we take one more step. And that doesn't seem to be as, bothers as much. And we get hardened. And when God's trying to, is knocking at the door, you know, we're kind of just pushing him out. I got this. I got this. I just shake myself and go out here and, and, and take care of it. I confess my iniquity. I am troubled by my, by my sin. So acknowledge your weakness, your sin, your fatal flaw, the thing that's most apt to bring you down, and then admit that you need help. Admit that you need help until you admit that you're vulnerable, that you'll never, you're never going to experience victory. Lord, help me. I, I remember when I was about uh, 20, I was trying to quit smoking because I was getting old. You know, I was about to hit 21, man. I was going to be old. And get up in the morning and cough and hack. <laughs> you know, I thought, man, when I get to be 25 and really old, what's going to happen, you know? I might ought to quit this. And I tried everything. I think cigarettes were only like 35 cents a pack then. And I'd been in the military. I could get them really cheap, you know? And so uh, I'd throw them out and get to the next uh, corner, run in and get another pack. And, and, you know, just, and I just couldn't do it. And I'd feel so bad. And, you know, I'd do all I could do and I just couldn't, I couldn't whip it, you know. But I was going to do it. I was going to set my mind to do it. And I just couldn't do it. Kept giving into it. Till finally I came to this place. It was bothering me. And I thought, you know, then I made some changes in my life. Got in church, met a good-looking woman had a testimony to hold up with working for the railroad at that time you know that's a that's a motley crew right there you know and and uh, I was about the only person that had a, even had a chance of being a witness to him and what kind of witness was I so I, it began to bother me my sin bothered me and I cried out and I cried out for help because I said God I can't do this I can't do this I need your help he said, I didn't help you get started. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, well, why is it so hard for me? He says, well, you know, you need to know it's, it's hard for you. God will help you, but he won't just, just instantly remove it from you because, you know what, then we won't think it's a big deal. And we can give in to it again. But I was serious before God, and God did help me. And, but I'd made, I've told this story before, but I made one fatal flaw in my arrogance when I really knew God was going to help me. I've sensed that. I thought, Praise God. And I said, you know, just, and God, if I ever smoke another one, just let it make me sick. God honors your request. <laughs> About three months later, when I had it conquered, man, I was, yeah, I, I, I had done this. <laughs> that wasn't so bad. And a guy lit up a cigarette, and if you've ever smoked, and well, when they light one up, that first, it's like, whew, wow. And I thought, well, yeah, I got this thing licked now. I, one cigarette, no big deal, because, you know, hey, <laughs> I'm me. I did this. <laughs> I bummed a cigarette from him, lit that thing up, and took a big drag off that cigarette, and oh, my goodness, the world turned green. <laughs> And I instantly remembered my vow before God. <laughs> he honored it. Man, I thought, I need to get out of here before I puke over in, oh, on everybody. And 
And I mean, I said, then I said, God, thank you. Forgive me for my arrogance. Forgive me for even thinking that I was so hot that I could do this and it wasn't any big deal. Thank you for honoring your word to me. And I've never had a desire for it. Never, ever. Maybe that's a good exclamation mark to put on something if you're trying to quit something. Just let it make me sick. <laughs> it will. We need to acknowledge uh, uh, that our sin and then admit that we need help. I need help, God, to do this. And then avoid temptation. Avoid it. You know, don't put yourself in a situation where you know that you're vulnerable. You know, if, if you have a problem with drinking, don't go to bars. <laughs> I mean, if you have a wandering eye, don't flirt with anyone. Yeah. If you um, have a problem with pornography, get a filter for your internet or something. And I mean, set some things up. Don't trust yourself. Say, you know what? If David fell, I could fall. If Elijah got discouraged and depressed, I could get discouraged and depressed. You know, if it happened to them, it could happen to me. We ain't so special people we need to set that guard and we need to avoid temptation again Genesis 4 7 sin is crouching at your door it desires to have you but you must master it so avoid it say no nah, ain't for me maybe somebody else but that ain't for me you know or you can just say you know what I made a commitment to God in my life and, and I can't do that that's fine I mean it might not be whatever that is it might be fine for somebody else but for you it's not and then ask for help that's what we have a body of believers for you know it's not enough to just acknowledge your problem and and uh, to admit that you need help or and to avoid temptation but you also need to ask for help for somebody to help hold you accountable ask somebody to stand with you someone that you can go to and ask for prayer that won't judge you, but will understand and pray for you and love you enough to pray and stand strong with you and to tell you the truth. Amen. You know, uh, a real friend will speak the truth in love and will help you. He who thinks he needs nothing or no one needs more than he can imagine. Wow. You know, so first of all, ask for God's assistance and then ask for somebody else. Uh, Samson did this there in verse 28, you know, where he prayed, O sovereign Lord, O, o Adonai, my master, remember me, O God. Please strengthen me once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. You know, God honored his request by using Samson to wipe out thousands of Philistines at his death. You know, Ask then not only ask God for help, but ask somebody else, as we said, and then uh, find a trusted friend, somebody that will stand with you. And the last, you know, through this step of, of trying to stand strong and be victorious, assimilate God's truth into your life. Let His word, His truth, the truth of His word, really work. Understand it and, and apply it in our life. And, you know, be with God's people, read God's word, uh, put it into practice. Which reminds me, starting June the 4th on Saturday night at 6 o'clock, we're going to come together for a Bible study, or line upon line, precept upon precept, reading of his word. And then it's just going to be two times, right? And then the 18th, June the 4th and June the 18th. And come and be a part of that. Just hearing his word. It's just a simplicity of line upon line, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. Put it into your life. 
in Psalm 119.11, it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Wow, put his word in. And then when you are tempted, that word can come alive and tell you, and the warning signs go off and say, oh, back up. People sometimes think maybe that I quote a lot of scriptures because I'm a pastor. No, I quote a lot of scriptures because I'm weak. (laughs) Put it in there. You need it to fight those things that come against you, those challenges that come. That's the sword of the Spirit. That's your weapon. Work on it. Sharpen it. Work on it daily. Keep it sharp in your life. We've got to stay connected to God and connected to other people. That's why we come to church. Get connected with with God's people. Stand strong. You know, well, I don't feel like it. Well, then that means you really need to get get to church. If you don't feel like it, or if you get frustrated or whatever, all these different things, that's when we need to be in the body of Christ and let God's word work in us. You know, left to ourselves, it's just a short walk to becoming just like Samson. We won't have anybody that reminds us that we need to stand strong, right? Isn't that what happens usually when we start to do something we know we really shouldn't be doing is we begin to avoid those that we don't want to know what we're doing. Or if we see them, then that reminds us that I shouldn't be doing that. I can always tell when my kids were doing something they shouldn't be doing, I didn't see them around. (laughs) Where'd they go? I hadn't seen them for like three or four days. (laughs) They didn't want to see me. (laughs) I'm talking about as adult children. They didn't want to see me because they were doing something wrong. And that would remind them that they weren't doing right, and so conviction comes. That's why people always get mad at pastors and stuff. Just remind them that that's not right or something. If there's something wrong in their life, I've thought sometimes, what did I do? (laughs) What did I do? Well, it wasn't that. It was maybe what they were doing, that they felt that conviction. You know, when conviction comes, boy, we, sometimes we get angry. We push, push out, don't we? We want to get away. And so, you know, join a small group. Get together with some people. Get a, you know, one or two people to, as accountability partners and uh, stand strong. You know, do what you need to do. Come to the Bible classes uh, and Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. Uh, go to the men's prayer meeting. You know, go to the women's things that they have. Get a part of it. Why? Because we need to be strengthened. And then sometimes it's like when we do begin to get strengthened, we don't think we need it. It's like getting in shape physically, and then you don't realize that, that you don't think you really need it, but it doesn't take long to fall out of shape. And when everything falls out of shape... <laughs> You say, well, pastor, how far can a person go before, you know, God won't deal with them anymore? Hmm. What if, what if they get drunk? Is that too far? What if they go back to using it? Is that too far? What if? What if? I don't know. Because I've never seen someone so far that God couldn't reach them. And that's, that's not a license to go do that and see how far we can get. That ought to be something that we realize how gracious God is. Oh my goodness. He's amazing and his grace is amazing. That, you know, when we were yet in our trespasses and sin, God loved us. He did that and he, he loves us. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just pray together today. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to target in on your weakness, on your fatal flaw, as it would be. Acknowledge maybe your weakness and 
Acknowledge your sin before God. Ask him to help you. Ask him to forgive you. You know, I'm sure that during the drudgery of grinding, Samson realized what he had done throughout his life, how he had missed it. And he knew that death had to take place. And you know, that, that's true of each one of us. The only way out is to go back to the area of our life where we are resisting the lordship of Jesus Christ and die. Now, I'm not talking about for salvation here, people. I'm talking about for our walk, our walk, a walk of victory. We've got to go back to where we are resisting the lordship of Jesus Christ. Is there an area in your life right now? And search, ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Is there an area in your life where you're resisting the lordship of Jesus Christ? Samson cried out, Adonai, my Lord, my master. Are we resisting? Are we doing our own thing? And that's where you need to die. Die to yourself. Romans 6, 11, again, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You know, Samson, in all his flaws, in all his mess, is finally recognized as a man of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, he's named among the, the in that, that hall of of, of uh, fame there of all the different mighty people throughout scripture and Samson's recognized there and it's not because of all the stuff he'd done and all the failures he had it's because he turned around and he died to himself and he literally then did God's will and, and accomplished what God had put him here on the earth to do so you need to look at your weakness and maybe look at your sin where you where you're taking things into your own hand, just look it squarely in the eye and, and count yourselves as dead to those things because of what Jesus has done for you. Put your trust and your hope and your expectation in Jesus. As I said a while ago, he is the hero of the story. This story really has nothing to do with Samson and everything to do with God. It's really a living lesson of the grace of God. How man who was beaten and blinded, humiliated by his own repeatedly, his own stupidity, repeated stupidity, if you will. And he reached the bottom, turned around and discovered that God was waiting for him all the time. Nothing heroic about Samson, but I mean, all he did was turn around and find God, the hero of the story. And some of us need to hear this. Some of us need to turn around and find God, the hero of your life. Maybe you've gone pretty far down the road of romance and revenge, and you're grinding under a load of guilt. Listen, restoration of a relationship with God does not depend upon your performance. It depends upon our humili 
humiliation and us humbling ourselves. You know, Satan, Samson didn't perform. He, he came back to, to God before he pushed those pillars down, before he accomplished those things. He'd already come back to God. He came back to God be, uh, while he was still shackled. He came back to God while he was still blind. He turned back to God and God took him. So right now, right where you are, you can turn back to God and God can take you. He was bold before men, but he was weak before women. Whatever your weakness is, you need to get it in, in sight right now, and you need to die to it. Do it right now. Just say, I am dead to this thing. It's not going to have control of me any longer. You need to maybe conquer fear and doubt or whatever it is that, that maybe is right there to cause you to stumble each time. Get victory over it right now. Right in the, in the place where you are, and God will meet you there. Hallelujah. If you're here this morning, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never accepted him, you're not sure of eternity, there's nothing you can do to perform good enough to be saved. What you have to do is just believe that he is the Son of God. Believe. And then receive him. Receive God's love gift of Jesus Christ to you. If you don't know for sure that you're going to spend eternity in heaven, why don't you just raise your hand right now? We want to pray for you. That you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. Anybody here? Well, it looks like we have all believers here. So back here to this point of where it's time to step it up, step away from those things that have been holding us back and step on into a victory with God. Just do that right now. Just do it right now. Father, I thank you right now that we can come to you before your throne of grace and find mercy. Samson did that, that grinding wheel, he came to your throne of grace, and he, find mercy, he found mercy and your grace to help him in his time of need. And you showed up, God. We declare today that you are Lord, you are Adonai, our master of all things. Love you today. Thank you for your great grace that warns us and rescues us. Thank you for it, God. Help us not to receive your grace in vain. Help us to receive your grace to be victorious and be overcomers. Father, we thank you for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me this morning? Hallelujah. Yes, sir. Oh, all right, well, we're going to be dismissed in prayer. We're going to pray for Dwayne. Dwayne went to the hospital this morning, uh, possibly with a gallbladder um, problem. So if you've ever had that happen, that's not a pleasant thing. So let's pray for him. Yes, ma'am. Four o'clock tomorrow, okay? So keep Dwayne in prayer. Anybody else? You, got a, you want to just shout out a prayer request? Something you're praying for? Want us all to pray for? Anybody? We, got, we have your written requests. We're going to pray with those. But good. Praise God. Well, you look good. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that, that we can... Uh,
call ourselves blessed because you call us blessed. Father, we thank you that we are above and not beneath. We're the head and not the tail. Father, we belong to you. No weapon that's formed or fashioned against us shall prosper. It shall not succeed in its intended purpose to destroy us. Father, we rise above uh, sin, self, Satan, and everything that he brings against us. Father, to be victorious for you. It's in you that we live and move and have our being. We couldn't do anything without you. We want to do everything with you. Father, lead us into areas of, uh, of purpose where we can allow you to shine through us and rescue those that are perishing. Father, to win the lost, to develop the saved. Father, to be what you call us to be. Lord, each one of us in our particular uh, area that we come in contact with people, give us divine appointments right now. Lord, we're going to be on the watch for them, and we're going to be ready to, to share the good news of how great you are. You're a good God, and we love you. Thank you for your grace, and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Give somebody a hug today, a handshake, a smile. Let them know you're glad to be in, the, in church today. Amen.